Welcome to the Urban Income Show, where we speak with minority CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, founders, and other executives to learn about their strategies for success. I'm your host, Lavalta Chester, CEO of Growth Skills at Urban Income, and today's episode features Dr. Kimberly S. Clay. She is the founder and CEO of Play Like a Girl, a national-based nonprofit organization working to level the playing field for girls by leveraging the skills gained from sports to propel young women into the male-dominated careers in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, otherwise known as STEP. Um, Since its inception, Play Like a Girl has reached over 25,000 girls and young women across the United States, Canada, Africa, and the Caribbean. And um, so I'm really excited, Dr. Kim, um, welcome. And uh, please, in your own words, uh, tell us about what you do and um, and, and uh, the amazing work that you're doing with Play Like a Girl. Well, thank you for one, the invitation to join you, and two, for the great introduction. Um, honestly, if I were to describe what I do, it's literally uh, what I feel I was born to do, called to do. Uh, And that is connecting girls with great opportunities uh, that perhaps they never thought possible with the intent uh, to actually set girls on a pathway to, um, you know, economic freedom and financial opportunity. And we do that by, um, again, combining the worlds of sport and um, STEM as uh, a way to help girls uh, get out of poverty, some of them to prevent poverty. Uh, and to break the intergenerational cycle for others. Amazing. And so give us your background, gender, where you were born, uh, how you identified. And then after that, tell us if you think that has any impact on your success and what you're, what, on, on what you're doing right now. Yeah. So I was born a girl, recognized and acknowledged myself as so in rural Mississippi back in 1975. Um, and born African-American, experienced um, growing up in the rural Deep South uh, with a mom who uh, herself actually um, participated in the sit-ins at Delta State University back in the 60s uh, and was actually held overnight in the state penitentiary. So, so much of my upbringing uh, was flowered by and colored by that experience because Uh, It really informed uh, how my mom then raised uh, us as girls, the two uh, of us girls who were in a family of of five children. My dad um, actually was drafted and fought in the Vietnam War and was really instrumental. He was a key witness in uh, the Pentagon proceedings uh, that followed, uh, that led to court martials and other um, pretty significant decisions in in the history of, of uh, our military and uh, that experience uh, was important because he returned to that same um, deep South um, environment where blacks and whites coexisted, but didn't necessarily live in the same world. And uh, my dad, after having right. spent um, again time fighting for our country on foreign soil, ended up uh, serving time in the federal penitentiary, the same penitentiary where my mom was held overnight for sit-in because my dad was believed to have an illegal relationship with a white female. 
Uh, so those two experiences wow. uh, really define so much of my life. My dad died five years ago at the age of 67, having never cast a vote for our first black president. Uh, because again, wow. what he was uh, accused of in the 60s, a being a peeping Tom, because that was the best law that they could oh, use uh, to incarcerate him. Uh, so much of who I am is defined by the experiences of my parents because of their experiences. Uh, they were really intentional about how they reared us to be conscious and connected in our community and to who we are uh, as Black people. So that's who I am. That's that's amazing. And I think I understand why you're, you know, what it carries through to the work that you're doing Absolutely. today. Um which is pretty incredible. Like, and that story is like, that's, that's wow. So you've got a lot of fuel in the background and history, really rich history on um, that drives you today. And so tell us about play like a girl. Why did you start it? And what do you, what do you actually do? Yeah. So play like a girl actually started 19 years ago, not with the intention of becoming a nonprofit. I was actually pursuing my doctoral degree in public health at the university of Alabama at Birmingham and had a classroom project to create uh, an intervention program addressing uh, my area of study, which was cancer uh, research. So I worked in the areas of breast, cervical, and lung cancer, uh, really looking at, uh, at that time, an increase in new diagnoses among individuals of color, in particular young women of color, uh, across what is known as the Black Belt or the Bible Belt. Um, you know, section or portion of the the, the South. Uh, and it kind of along the, the same lines, uh, we had just relocated to Birmingham from Atlanta and we didn't really have a social network. So I started meeting um, or hosting a group of women in my home. Uh, and there were about six of them, in addition to myself, who were also women of color pursuing PhDs uh, and MDs across the university system. And um, again, the happy meeting of this social network that I was creating for myself, a village, if we could call it that, along with the work that I was doing with my community, created um, the perfect opportunity for those women to join me in giving back. So we originally started Play Like a Girl as an organization known by the name Sisterbration. And it was intended to be uh, the fusion of sisterhood and celebration taking the negative experiences that women of color were having around uh, their health, chronic disease, in particular, HIV, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and helping them to find the power that they needed in behavior change, in disease prevention, and in screening. So initially, a lot of our focus was on bringing mothers and daughters together around breast cancer month, HIV AIDS uh, month, uh, World AIDS Day in particular, National Girls and Women, um, you know, disease prevention programs around, um, you know, again, heart disease, HIV and cancer. And so we started mainly as an event driven organization doing more edutainment. So we would host these um, fabulous entertainment types of events to captivate the audience and get them into the space. And then we would utilize that as an opportunity to educate and screen them. 
And so it took on a life of its own. Um, and so in 2006, two years later, uh, I knew I was on to something. I uh, really didn't know what that meant, but knew that I needed to formalize it. So uh, I incorporated the organization. Uh, several years later, we continued to evolve, uh, relocated to birth to uh, Dallas, actually, where my husband uh, was taking on his first uh, position as a physician practicing medicine. And I left at that point academics because I continued my training, went on to become an NCI funded um, tenure track professor doing research in cancer and, and left that work thinking I was going to sit out for a year or so to get my kids acclimated to living in Texas and uh, found an opportunity uh, through a partnership with the local after school program to introduce after school programming. Uh, through what we then rebranded as Play Like a Girl because it was not well-received under the other name in this deeper South state uh, of Texas. So, um, yeah, so being accustomed, I adjust, uh, but I knew what I named Play Like a Girl, uh, Play Like a Girl, when I did the rebranding, I knew immediately that there was something uh, powerful in that name. Uh, so I immediately trademarked uh, and, you know, did all of the things. But one thing we couldn't get uh, exactly as the name appeared was our uh, web domains. Um, so folks will notice on social media and web, we are I Play Like a Girl uh, because Nike previously had run uh, a marketing and advertising campaign uh, that encouraged uh, girls to play and they were utilizing that name. And so the agency uh, wanted to sell uh, the, the, those domains for twenty thousand dollars each. So uh, that was a no. Of course they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't yet know kind of what what we're gonna do with this thing. Play like a girl, uh, but we continued to evolve, uh, offering after school programs for kids in middle school. Uh, we also were doing some elementary school programming, again largely focused on uh, active play and sport. But then um, Hall of Famer um, Emmett Smith and his wife at the time, they had a family foundation. And part of what they would do each year was to fund local community organizations to do programming um, to, to reach children of color. And that year we were selected for our very first uh, funded uh, organized sport program. Uh, so we started not with football or flag football. We actually started Play Like a Girl uh, focusing on tennis uh, and introducing girls to non-traditional uh, sports, girls of color in particular. Uh, and as we continued to grow, ESPN and ESPNW got um, you know wind of our work and and recognized what we were doing, were captivated and wanted to support it. So at that point, I often tell people things change probably forever because then we were elevated to a more national. Um, you know, audience. Uh, and then uh, two years later, uh, ESPNW and Ernst & Young actually released a uh, study, a global study that showed the 94% of women in the C-suite played sport, 56% of them through college. And honestly, I'd never really, um, really knew, known sport um in that way because I was the kid in my family who didn't necessarily get the same opportunities to play sport. I was the more academically inclined, more uh, performance, you know, I played piano and flute and all of that. But also growing up in my small town, uh, 
we didn't have equal access or opportunity to sports. So growing up, um, we were one of the last schools, Morgan Freeman went on national television, embarrassed about it, um, to do away with a black and white queen uh, for homecoming. Well, likewise, we had black and white parks and they still exist. Um, while they don't have the signs, it is still known and understood uh, that the park located in the projects is the park that the Blacks frequent, and the ones uh, located in the better part of town are the ones that the, that the white folks in town frequent. So growing up not having access to sport and opportunity to play sport, I didn't really understand, um, even in, you know, doing the work from a, a public health perspective, I still didn't understand the power that sport really uh, offered for women and girls uh, until that study. And I returned back to Nashville because we were then um, located in Nashville, located here to be closer to family and relocated the, um, the headquarters for the nonprofit as well. So when I returned from California and, and ESPN Women's uh, and Sports Summit, to our board, uh, I, I lobbied our board to reconsider our mission. And that's when uh, we decided to align the work that we were doing in sport um, with STEM. STEM in particular, because we understood that girls also lose interest in STEM at about the same rate as dropping out of sport, going from middle school to high school, girls drop out at twice the rate of boys. Uh, and we understood that STEM right now represents the one set of disciplines that almost provides equity and parity and pay for women. Uh, so when we talk about, you know, reducing uh, and preventing the intergenerational cycle of poverty, we do that through the empowerment uh, of individuals, through education and through access to, to money. And so that was really the decision um, process behind how we restructure programming in 2016 um, to truly live out our mission and our name as Play Like a Girl. Got it. And um, I love the connection into STEM. Um, do you know why they why girls stop um, playing sports and I guess caring about STEM as well? Like yeah, very math similar. and technology. Uh, yeah, so there, there are a multitude of reasons, um, and they vary, right? Uh, some vary based upon um, geography, others on demographics uh, as well. So costs become more of an issue uh, when you look at middle school to high school transition in sports, uh, in particular travel, uh, and the cost related to, with travel sports and travel clubs becomes more of an issue. Uh, what we also know is the confidence uh, issue that presents itself very uniquely, I think, also within the context of coaching. Uh, not everyone is trained to coach a girl. Girl girls in middle school, um, that age range of development, are also experiencing a lot of changes in their body, their emotions uh, as well. Uh, and so there are just a multitude of issues uh, and barriers for girls uh, preventing them uh, from continuing. The other piece is that, um, again, representation. Many girls aren't seeing women go into uh, a long career in sport like professional sports in particular. So they don't get to see many women playing uh, some of the sports that they are most interested in. And then 
uh, two, uh, at that point, as the girls transition into high school, there's more of a conversation around them picking and choosing what's important. And so for girls that are more academically inclined, they're often left to believe that they have to cut sports to perform well academically. And that's a myth. Uh, and so we are losing girls for a multitude of reasons, but certainly uh, the lack of role models, the, you know, the job that often coaching and other things can do on their confidence. Uh, and then, uh, of course, just access and costs can be pretty detrimental. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think also just some sports like take a hockey rink, right? A lot of, you know, minorities, African-Americans, they'll play hockey because there's no rink in their vicinity. Same thing with, um, it's like swimming. There's no pool in where located, but where, where they're, uh, where they, where they are. The other thing is I can't help help men think about like, based on your story and everything, your history and everything you said, how like, think some things just stay the same, even though a lot has changed. So that just really sort of makes me just, <laughs> makes me sad, you know, uh, thinking about it. But I think what we're doing, right, or Lincoln, this conversation, and absolutely watching you work with Play Like a Girl is is pushing that change. I think one thing, um, how can brands work and, and partner with your organization? Because... I think when you look at how customers select brands, a lot of them now, especially the younger generation, your brand has to be associated with a cause, right? Like, and if it's not, then you're just not in the consideration set at all. Um, so, and, and when I watched, you know, I, I met you work when I was at Moneyline, uh, heading up their, their SEO, their comp and work and our partnership, especially what we activation, um, at the Indy 500, that was really cool. And um, so how, how, and from a, just a brand standpoint, it really just gives us the ability to, to do some good in the world, I think, uh, and just, you know, plant with a stamp, but like, we can't just, we can't do that on, on our own. Yeah. So there's really three critical ways that we work with brands uh, and even leagues, athletes themselves uh, and teams. Uh, the first is typically kind of an introduction um, to the partnership opportunity, and that is through employee engagement. Um, we really believe in starting at the ground level and building the relationship up. So we typically engage first with our partners around getting their employees out to actively volunteer and serve uh, the girls that, that are part of our program. And that's typically a one-off, you know, hour to 90-minute um, engagement. It looks different for every corporation. For some, it may be a speed mentoring session where girls are introduced to women in various uh, careers across their country, their company. For others, it may be a sports clinic uh, with players leading the clinic and teaching developmental skills for girls who play a particular sport or are interested in that sport. Uh, for others, it may be bringing our girls on site to their company uh, to give them a behind the scenes look at the company, its products and services, and what opportunities might be there for them uh, over the long term for careers. And then um, from employee engagement, typically we go into often the, the exchange of cash. Uh, and that can often happen in a number of contexts. Most uh, brand partners will either tap resources out of their marketing and advertising 
um, budgets where, you know, we might work collaboratively on creating some type of content uh, to promote a message that we both share in common. We've done that with uh, one of our largest partners, Bridgestone Americas here, who was also involved in the work that we were doing with uh, IndyCar because all of IndyCar um, race cars actually have Firestone tires, which are manufactured through Bridgestone Firestone. Um, and so when you think about then what that looks like in, in terms of how we engage the brand, not only are we producing content, but we are also putting our girls in the garage, teaching them about the many women who are there on the on the backside of the business, but then also the other opportunities uh, for STEM careers within motorsport. So that was really the connection uh, too with the IndyCar uh, activation. And then thirdly, we have CSR, um, you know, corporate social responsibility, typically foundations uh, within companies uh, representing brands that will have funds set aside specifically to fund social impact projects. And those may take on many different looks and feels. Uh, even in the marketing space, there's also cause marketing, uh, point of sales uh, types of uh, benefits that we also receive. So we've gotten uh, really creative with our partners over the years and really meeting partners where they are uh, and trying to uh, maximize their opportunity to not only engage their pocketbooks, but also their people. Yeah, I, I think that the the experience, like just imagining even like uh, going to the garage, going to the race, looking at the cars, like imagine how life-changing and also like mind-blowing yeah. that is for that literally would change your trajectory, your, your trajectory, in terms of like, because it's a powerful moment just to look at the cars and learn about them. Just from an adult standpoint, I got yep. to go and I looked yep. at the cars and like, this is amazing. I could not imagine if Hopper's like nine years old and yep. that happened to me. It's like, uh, it's like one of those catalysts for changes because it's it's such a powerful experience that like that you were able to create for for those young girls. It's like really. It's amazing work. It really yeah, so, is because, you know, often I, I know how I felt. Only imagine how they felt. Yeah. And that's why I often say, you know, this is as much um, a life altering uh, experience for me as it is for the girls that we serve. Because, again, I'm still that little girl who grew up on, you know, dirt roads in Mississippi uh, that I still go back to when I go to visit. Uh, so it's not that far removed from my reality. Uh, so for me, I am intentional and, in, you know, finding those experiences that girls have not even begun to imagine. Um, you know, I often tell the story about uh, some of our inside book visits where we take girls into actual work environments and how uh, we actually took girls to our, our, our local airport. And while they live in the backyard of the airport and, you know, planes are flying over their heads every day, all day. Um, 90% of the girls had never stepped foot at the airport, so let alone onto a plane. So for some, it's not even about becoming the pilot. It is about first, you know, just experiencing what it looks like and feels like the hustle and bustle of an airport uh, and what all of that means in terms of jobs and opportunities right at home uh, without, you know, leaving uh, or even requiring a passport to travel the world. So um, yes, the experiences that our girls have are out of this world. We actually head to DC tomorrow, 
with a partnership with the National Archives Museum. Um, many people don't think about those founding documents uh, like our Constitution and Bill of Rights and, and all of that. They're housed in this amazing uh, museum. Well, we are partnering with them to bring uh, sport uh, and programming around women in sports uh, to about 300 folks uh, at a live event focused on and targeting girls and women uh, and spotlighting uh, the stories of three of our Play Like a Girl athlete ambassadors who are women uh, who have played sport at the highest level. Uh, they are elite softball players, um, you know, U.S. Olympians, alpine skiers, uh, and one is uh, a player turned executive in the WNBA who will talk about their journeys uh, and their careers off uh, the field as well. So again, those are the types of experiences we try to create for our girls, whether it's behind the scenes like at IndyCar, or if it is literally at the foot of women who are able to model for them or even mentor them through some of the critical decisions that they will make around career and, and life uh, in general. That, that's really cool. That's really amazing. Again, creating those curated, I think, an intentional moments that it will, will definitely be life-changing for everyone involved. Because I, I would imagine the, the, the people giving back, your, your athletes, like there is a process as you grow in your life and your career where you get so much from uh, mentoring and giving back that like is, is kind of priceless. Um, I think so. I think you really are on both sides of the coin, creating these really powerful opportunities to change lives in, in both spectrums, right? And I think to your point, it is truly generational because you get them that young, you whip, you are literally um, showing them options that that they they ever knew existed. So I think that's incredible. Oh, man, this is probably going to be a hard one. Like, what are you most proud of? in the work that you've done for like the past five years? Because he got a lot. Yeah. Um, the last five. The last five, uh, of course, have been uh, colored by COVID and the pandemic in large and the shutdowns of schools and uh, the pivoting of programs. But even in the midst of that, uh, we celebrated our first class of young women who started with us years ago in fourth grade, who graduated high school and went to college. And today um, I got the news that one of our most stellar young women, uh, we also funded with a college scholarship um, about two years ago uh, is the 66th Miss Hampton University. So she will be uh, reigning next year and representing her uh, institution. Uh, for me, Hannah Selders represents um, the best of my life uh, and this work. She is the full circle moment. She represents every girl that we touch, uh, whether that girl continues on and pursues a STEM degree or a non-STEM degree. Uh, this year, we uh, are also uh, supporting another student here in Nashville, Emma Clonin, who is our first student to actually sign uh, to play uh, sport at the um, collegiate level. She'll be playing golf of all sports, which we introduced to our girls several oh, years. Oh, Yep. Uh, and she will be pursuing uh, a new neuro- school circle. I was just yep. for sport, right? Yep. The, the first one to That's do a amazing. sport. That's amazing. Look and, at that. Yep. And a STEM. 
um, degree. So that for me is um, what I'm most proud of is to see girls actually um, take the accumulation of experiences and exposure that they have received uh, and actually use it to uh, catapult themselves into their wildest dreams. That's amazing because it's not the ESPNs, it's not the brand elevation, it is the outcome, which yeah. is which is what you're most proud of, which Absolutely. is like shows that, you know, it's core to your belief, right? Because yeah. well, now there are a lot of people who create stuff with it. That's not what they care about. They have their organization and it's just for dog and pony. They don't care about the actual yeah. thing that they've created to solve. But like, you know, that's been the most difficult, uh, especially during this last five years, because there has been an increased interest in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, we sit squarely in that space because of our focus on equity in sport and in STEM representation, but then also the social ju justice movement as well, working specifically with uh, underserved uh, or girls from underserved communities. And while we have a large number of white girls, uh, we suffered a deficit of girls of color um, when we moved our shop to Dallas and then transitioned to Nashville. It was not until the pandemic when parents were hard pressed for programming uh, to engage their kids outside of them doing, you know, the day-to-day -day schooling thing that we actually saw a surge in black and brown girls. And so part of my challenge became um, saying yes, to brand partnerships instead of saying no, because I found myself saying more no because I knew that it was a checkbox ask. It was not intended to truly make impact, some of them, uh, that it was just about the demographic, not about the people, the girls that we were serving. And so as a, a gatekeeper uh, to our community of women and girls, to our community of, of persons of color, as a person, as a as a personally committed individual, but also a person who is consciously uh, committed to being responsible about my role as a gatekeeper, um, I struggle because money will come. It definitely comes, but I had to make some really hard decisions um, when saying yes. Right. Huh. Um. That's. That's hard. And, and in it, the remote, so were you doing a lot of remote programming as well? Yeah. So, um, prior to the pandemic, uh, we were all live. Uh, and so with the pandemic, we had to pivot as well. So it's kind of hard to do, you know, sports clinics and camps online. Uh, so we actually pivoted back to mentoring, which we'd done years ago. Uh, but we previously done so in a one-to-one -one, uh, type of traditional fashion. Uh, when we reintroduced mentoring, we instead focused on group-based experiences because we held listening sessions with our girls who were craving connection, uh, girls who weren't yet back in school, wanted to provide the opportunity to support them emotionally. Uh, and then also uh, flash mentoring was another format that we wanted to introduce, which uh, also released the professional woman from the obligation of staying with a specific mentee for a longer period of time. 
but also provided the opportunity for the girl, the mentee, to be exposed to more women, the mentors, uh, such that they got a variety of exposures. Uh, they were given the opportunity to learn about and be um, more familiar with uh, and build relationship with a myriad of individuals from many different backgrounds. So uh, that's how we um, survived the pandemic. And we've continued those programs in the virtual, but we also have uh, an in-person version of our mentoring program now. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to grow it. Um, our goal in the fall is to uh, actually roll out our first uh, chapter programs uh, across the U.S., allowing other groups and organizations to operate under our license, um, our mentoring program, and some of our other projects, similar to what we've done with Money Lion and IndyCar. Uh, so, yeah, we we definitely relied heavily on technology and the connectedness of you know our, our more virtual world. Um, in doing so, we also provided actual devices and technology to our girls along with Wi-Fi um, hotspots because we recognized that not every girl had access, but even when they had access via the actual device, they didn't necessarily have the connectivity. And so we um, focused on really trying to close the gap for the girls who had a device, but yet did not have Wi-Fi connectivity. So I'm proud that we were able to meet the needs of our girls in terms of technology and, and surviving the virtual world uh, for educational purposes, but also remaining connected to our programs as well. Got it. And then did I hear you correctly? You said that you are actually having trouble to source black and brown um, girls to be part yeah, of the program? So, yeah. So prior to... Um, no. So that's why I said the pandemic was um, a, a shifting okay. moment because I think out of that desperation, yes, and the limitation, you know, supply, <laughs> right? Supply and demand. For um, sure. For in sure. high demand. And I think with parents who were trying to rationalize costs, we actually offer all Play Like a Girl programs at no cost to the participating girl. So when a parent is looking at, okay, oh, wow. you know, a virtual Medical. program for after school and one that carries a cost versus one that doesn't, uh, we tend to win on that uh, mm -hmm. scenario. So a, a number of our parents were telling that story. So I think what occurred is that, yes, out of you know desperately needing resources and programs for their kids, um, they were, you know, able to find us by also, um, you know, eliminating those programs that carry the cost for virtual programming, which parents, not all of them could quite right. rationalize making that decision. Okay. That's, that, that makes sense. Um, and when, when you think about what are you doing next? Like what, what's the future of play like a girl? Yeah. So 19 years, uh, is, the number that we celebrate this year. Uh, so my uh, goal right now is to map forward um, a path for my replacement. So uh, we're really focused over the next several months in preparing our uh, new chapters to launch in the fall uh, to continue to you know restore mm -hmm. and regain uh, our footing with programming on the ground while still you know growing our internet and virtually based programs. Uh, but 
also, you know, refreshing and rebuilding our board and um, then commissioning that board to find um, what I believe will be uh, a remarkable replacement for me to grow the organization to uh, its next, you know, dimension uh, in, in the world of what we do and then perhaps even finding new opportunities uh, in the space uh, to serve girls. So uh, 20 is is the big year. I'm I'm looking forward to our celebration next October, and um, my hope is to be able to pass the baton. That so that's a perfect segue into some of the more more personal um, questions about income and what you what you wish you did with money sooner. Uh, but why why pass the torch? It's time. Um, I think good leaders have to know when they've done the job assigned to them. And for me, I know that time has come. Um, I'm 48, that's young, but I have other goals. Uh, I'm very entrepreneurial in spirit. My husband also, uh, we've always owned multiple companies and done consulting work and employed other people. So uh, we have some other dreams we want to live out as well. Um, the other piece is that our kids are now out of our home. So they're, uh, you know, allowing us to be empty nesters and discover life in a new way uh, as we approach what we hope to be retirement at about 55. Uh, so I want to be a wife and a mom uh, in this chapter of life, uh, which, you know, most of our parents didn't get the opportunity to really enjoy uh, their post, you know, career life. Um, many had short lives after that or, you know, were forced back to work because of economy and all of that. So for me, I want to be able to uh, enjoy the fruit of my labor and enjoy that with my family. Uh, we spent years raising our ch children. Now it's time to celebrate with them as they grow into young adults themselves. That's really incredible because so for everyone listening, I think what what Dr. Kim has, has shown you is that there is a plan in her life and, and she's she's worked on education, creating her own business, all those things. But you hear that she has tons of different revenue streams. And I'd like to, if you could expand on some of those, so sources yeah. of income. And she has a goal, like 20 years, this org is fantastic. We built it, it's good. My legacy is there. I'm going to pass it on to someone who could grow it. And then I'm going to continue and, and retire. I think 65 is retirement age. Yeah. This is like the way you should, like, if you learn anything for any any of these episodes, I think this is the perfect way to sort of like set a goal, plan it, do it. And and you're, it, she's living example of it. Um, yeah. So that's amazing. And that so talk about young. that. Talk about sort of what we, what your friend was. Yeah, it's come without sacrifice. That's the one thing I have to say. Um, we made a lot of choices along the way um, to not position just ourselves as professionals, but also to position our children and set them up for success as well. Um, you know, as parents, uh, we were engaging in a conversation with friends and some having some challenges with uh, they're young male children. And one asked the question, you know, do you all have any regrets? Our answer was, hell no, we don't have any regrets because we know we were, you know, we were intentional. We know that every choice that we made came with great sacrifice. 
when, you know, again, moving our boys from a city like Atlanta, where they were proud of being Black, where they, you know, knew that they were special because they were Black, to moving to, you know, Dallas, where you barely would see another person of color sitting at a light, you know, in North Dallas and Frisco, which is where we lived. And what job that did on them in public school for them to experience being in classrooms where they were the only, but they were the first little black boys that their almost teenage white teacher had ever experienced. That led us to then making the sacrifice of taking our kids out of public school, which, you know, Texas has some of the most um, amazing um, public schools, but taking them out of public school, paying an arm and a leg for private school, but then driving 45 minutes in one direction in Dallas traffic every day. Um, So that's an hour and a half for school alone. So, you know, that's an example. So for us, do we have regrets? Absolutely not. We know that then when we relocated back to uh, this South in Nashville and they're in middle school going into high school, they're having a similar experience, but at least it's within the construct of what we are accustomed to having grown up a state over, wherein the rules right. of race are played a little bit differently here, um, where we acknowledged that for us living in the most affluent county in the state of Tennessee, that our boys would have access educationally to resources that our nieces and nephews in the city over didn't have opportunity and access to. So that was another sacrifice. That meant for us, our Black experience was also limited to Sunday when we would go to town, to Nashville in the city and actually worship at our church on Sunday, you know, get together with our friends who looked like us and had similar experiences. So with every decision that we made, living behind the gates in a private golf course community, requiring our boys to learn how to play the sport of golf, to swim as uh, as a competitive swimmer, to speak and be fluent in Spanish uh, as a a second language. Those were decisions that carried a lot of sacrifice financially, socially, culturally, and otherwise. And for that reason, yes, they, you know, are in school now at Xavier, which is my husband and my alma mater, Xavier University of Louisiana in New Orleans, on full academic scholarships because they scored, you know, crazy on their ACTs and they performed well and they test well. And, you know, they have all of the things. But we also made sure that they had a consciousness about their privilege, about their opportunity and about the burden on them to pay it forward and to create similar opportunities for children, um, whether it be their peers or those that they also serve through, you know, their own organizations in school uh, that might not otherwise have those same opportunities. So for us, there are no regrets. We did everything we've done, um, knowing the sacrifice that was attached to it, because what we recognize is that if we can do it for our children, but teach them to do it for others, the impact is so much greater. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, like I think we've talked to a lot of people on this show, we've interviewed some people, and there's a lot of like career advice, there's a lot of business advice and all, all of that, marketing advice. 
what what I think you you just heard, what I know you just heard is sort of like if you have kids or you, you want to have kids, like there is like I love the word intention because even growth skills, our tagline is growth is intentional. You have to be intentional in that, but yeah, you are literally showing the plan that you had for your children that very thought out, very methodical, and to position them and give them all the tools if you'd like to yeah. uh, to to be exceptionally um, successful in 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 America, right? Especially yeah. like things like Spanish as a second language. My dad was a um, a, a PhD uh, in Spanish. He actually taught um, okay. at Howard. But um, when he was trying to teach me Spanish, I was like, no dice. And I'm so angry. Like the tribe. I think that's something that you said too about it seems like your your children were receptive, but I I was well, not. I, and you know, I regret it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I but regret they're it. Things, <laughs> that they are not receptive to. My kids are not, you know, different from most kids their age, right? There are things that they outright reject. Correct. Because also their access to information is much greater because of, again, those handheld devices. Right, right. Uh, they still think they're smarter yeah. than their parents, right? But now at 19 and 21, uh, one is preparing for his senior year. The other will go into his, his, his sophomore year. They're able to now understand why for their birthdays for 18 years, we would always celebrate birthdays. But they were never allowed to accept gifts. They always gave for their birthday because we wanted to teach them the power of giving to others. So on their birthday, they would serve and they would give gifts. So if kids brought gifts, they would then take those gifts and donate them to the children's hospital or another organization. Uh, they, they now speak back to us. They understand what we were trying to teach principally around you know, again, what as a child seemed like crazy. Um, we just celebrated my oldest 21st birthday and um, we purchased him a brand new car. You know, it's paid for, it's yours. It's, you know, we'll pay the, the uh, insurance until, you know, you graduate next year. Um, but part of that was because what we said to them is if you perform academically, one, because we know what's in you, we're your parents. We know where you came. If you do your part academically and, you know, can avoid loans and all of that um, and get school paid for, we can commit to you that you won't have to put out the expense for a vehicle. So we kept that promise and that we'll purchase your first home. And that home real estate, we believe, has been the greatest gift to us. Yes. So that, again, when you graduate and then continue, you know, your education, whether it be medical school, they're both pre-med right now, or something else, that you aren't as far behind as we were, even though our parents were middle class and, you know, they didn't have money necessarily to send us to school. So we acquired some loans along the way. But if you do that, we can use real estate in a way um, that perhaps, you know, generations of our family hadn't used it before. So you can either live there, sell it when you leave college, or keep it as a rental property. But we will defray the cost and expense related to that to put you that many years ahead. We didn't buy our first home until we were like 28, 29, approaching 30. Um, and again, it was a small starter home, you know, 1950s rancher. We paid 156 for it. 15 years later, because we could not sell it because of the, the economic downturn that hit 
right before 2017. Uh, so we got stuck with that home. Oh, we were blessed in that we had an arm that never increased above 2% interest rate. Uh, we always broke even because that the house was actually occupied by a couple, a woman in particular, who started her career as a janitor at UAB Hospital, who lost their home in the big tornadoes that come through and ripped uh, up parts of Alabama. And at that time, she was preparing for retirement as the head of janitorial services for UAB. And it was our commitment that, you know, a couple that was in their approaching 60s, 70s year old, that we didn't want them to go have to buy a new home at that age, taking care of her then, you know, 80, 90 year old mom. So we never, you know, turned a profit. We allowed them to stay in the home, just maintain the mortgage as long as we could um, and keep the house, you know, in good condition. And when we felt like it was, you know, too maintenance heavy for everyone involved, um, you know, we decided to sell. But that was the first example of our leveraging of uh, real estate um, to help build, again, legacy and wealth in our family, but also do it in a way that would bless other people, would serve the needs of others uh, in a really, again, conscious and intentional way as well. And so that that's incredible. What do you what did you wish you did with your money sooner? Uh, Definitely. You, you've mentioned a lot of real estate. Um, what else? I would say definitely invest uh, and and play the market a little bit more when things were in a much better position. Um, you know, we talk now. We did a lot of um, stock purchases during the pandemic. You know, while some folks were probably frying fish and having fish fries, you know. We were looking at, you know, the, the, the and, you know, how much we could get for money that we were sitting on. Uh, and so we purchased a lot and, you know, yes, we know that there's a slump that's currently happening, but there is a day when most of it will come back. Uh, so even with that, we had started before the pandemic, we increased, um, our investments during that time. We sold our home in that private golf course community um, when people started relocating from California to Tennessee. And um, we actually made twice what we um, paid to build a home um, from scratch home. You know, we built it custom. And so we, yeah. <laughs> and, and we then even uh, created a family fund to further invest, but also to give back uh, through um, you know, charitable efforts as a part of our family fund. So if there were anything we would have done earlier, I would say we would have invested. Uh, but again, we started out with debt. Um, we've now lived a debt-free lifestyle um, minus mortgages on our homes uh, for 13 years. And that has afforded us to be able to do the things that we've done. I've led the organization uh, for those 13 years without a salary or benefits. We owe no one, uh, even as an organization, because it's a principle that we carry from home to work, the value uh, of ownership and um, being debt-free. So um, that we learned early, the debt-free lesson we learned early, but had we had access to more wealth, we would have uh, invested much early, earlier as well. Absolutely. Um, is there any 
last bit of advice you would give to your younger self um, or any young boy or girl listening to this? Yeah. So, you know, of course, often asked that question uh, for me. For me, I've learned more than anything um, that integrity is pivotal to life success uh, and how I define success. Uh, It's not measured by the the zeros in the bank account, uh, but more so for me measured by the impact that I make in the lives of others. And so integrity, uh, I found this um, African proverb some years ago uh, that I've hung on to that the truest test of integrity is its blunt refusal to compromise. And so for me, uh, and I'd say even for my husband and our family in general, uh, we have made intentional conscious decisions uh, to stand firm on what we believe. And what we believe is that we were created with a responsibility to serve mankind. And however that shows up in our life, whether for him, it is serving at the bedside of a patient every day uh, in the ICU or me uh, with the girls that we serve at Play Like a Girl or through another organization um, that I might support our boys, you know, in the work that they do as translators and, um, you know, EMS um, trained persons. It's about service to the people uh, and we won't compromise on that, uh, which is why uh, the yeses become fewer as you grow older and wiser. You start to discern um, what is your responsibility to protect um, versus, you know, what is your responsibility to walk away from? So uh, if anything, I would say search for the calling in life that has been assigned to you as a human being and remain steadfast and unmoved and uh, with high principle and integrity in performing that work. You know, I, I absolutely love that because I think one, it resonates very much with me from a personal standpoint, what we've been building with growth skills and everything. And when I tell, we have values on our, on our website, but those values I tell the team, it doesn't mean anything if we don't stand by them. Right. And so this is like, I think it's credible. The other, I think in 2021, we walked away from a $394,000 contract of revenue where we fired uh, uh, this partner who hired us because they were trying to take advantage of our team and this client who basically only came to them to get us, right? And yeah. it's counterintuitive, like, why would you walk away from money? And yes. it's like, like if we don't do this, like, all this crap, it, like, it's just, it's words yeah. are just words. And I think I want to share this with you. I wasn't actually planning to do that, but but I want to share this with you because I'm very proud of it. So okay. we built this site called spreadlove.org. We turned it into our uh, our nonprofit. And what it is is it it allows people to send hope and inspiration um, via anonymous email. And so let's say I know oh. you're going through a tough time. If I have your email, send you, and we define that as love, that the anonymous yeah. act. Of so now we yeah. see love get happening being shared all over the internet and it's pretty cool because it traps like device gender love you know, countries where the love is being stored 
words that are being used. And then the other thing we're doing is we do SEO. So if you type a keyword into Google, we could make sure our clients rank. But there are words like are women evil, archers evil, or black people all criminals. People search for those things. And the, yeah. the, the white supremacist Dylan Roof, he did a search on black and white crime statistics. He yeah. found some fake stats and then went and shot he shot up the the um the this black church right so yeah. from yeah. our standpoint what we're doing is we know we have these skills so we're building yeah. things like this to literally make a difference in the world because when someone searches for our women evil we have to we have to defend we have to yes. put up yeah or what we have to stop because if we don't our morals that we say trust diversity integrity using our skills for good is all rubbish you know yeah. and and if we don't do Scarcely. it because it is a cost to do this type of thing right because we have to actually do the work um yeah. but it's core to our value you have to do it and so you know yeah. there's there's no compromise so whether like i really really love that and um uh, the universe has been has been you know giving us uh back yeah. and then urban income is just another example of that where we believe just in my experience we could see that minorities and underserved communities fuel a lot of these financial sites but it's a predatory relationship they're well, getting taken advantage of they're not yeah. not real benefit yeah. we have to do something about it and um I, you know that's what we're doing and i think you coming on like your wisdom you know is going to live on internet forever and we're going to optimize it so people find it and and Awesome. And we push it because yeah. like you've I've learned so much so thank you so much yeah, for uh, for all of this I feel like you yeah know? I really this has made my ear I so I just want to finish with this this has made my ear because I literally think about my daughter and I think about you know black woman and I think that uh like I think you've given me some tools just about what you said about your children that I could I really need to think about make better plans not to say that we don't have a plan but i don't think it's uh, as tight as as it could be you know so yeah. i appreciate that yeah no thank you thank you for that thank you for the opportunity to share uh, because again my life is about service and whatever whatever platform i can do that uh, i try as best i can to leverage and to make good of it so thank you for the opportunity to share amazing all right, so we're going to wrap this up, everyone. This was the Urban um, This is the Urban Income Show. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for listening today. Follow us on all the social media. There's one tip I want to leave that we didn't, didn't get to touch on is when Dr. Kim mentioned the thing about, about trademarks, you could do a trademarking play like a girl. You could do a free trademark at USPTO.gov to really see if your name is out there. I just want to leave with that business tip because if you don't do that you're going to go spend money building assets on the name you can't actually keep so yeah. don't do that save money uh freeze trademark search and dr kim thank you so much for for mm -hmm. having us on this intros i want to make to uh, add color which is this this network on the the head of sales of microsoft basically is on this advertising color it's uh it's a um so it's an organization that promotes minorities within advertising, right? Okay. And because, you know, my background is in advertising and there's no, very few people who look like me running these advertising shops, these big agencies. 
So I think there's a connection there. And part of okay. why I do this is to connect people who I think Thank you. would be perfect for each other. So I'm going to send that connection and and thank you. Thank you for, for this. No, thank you for doing this. Thank you for watching and listening to this episode of the Urban Income Show. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow us on social, and visit urbanincome.com.